Welcome back to the Brothers Book Club Podcast. We are doubling down for the first time in Brothers Book Club Podcast history today, and we are revisiting a truly monumental text, The Inferno by Dante, which I did a solo episode on this week. Had to come back, though, because we managed to finally get a brother on this podcast, though not legally my brother, uh, an old, old friend from childhood and, oh God, from many exploits, um, a current former educator and current, well, I'll let you explain yourself in a second, uh, and basically like a brother. And so welcome to Drew McCann, to the first guest appearance on the Brothers Book Club podcast. Howdy. I'm honored to be here. First ever guest. We'll set some expectations right away. It's going to be a lot like normal, so get used to that. There's going to be tons of questions, text evidence, light analysis. We're not going to try and spoil everything. It's going to be kind of like a book review episode, but maybe a little bit more um, question-focused or interviewed-like, maybe a little bit lighter. I don't know. We'll see how it goes tonally. Uh, is there anything, Drew, that you need the people to know before we jump into uh, Inferno? I will apologize right now on all the inside jokes that will likely occur. It's true. I mean, and really, isn't that just what podcasting is in 2019? Honestly, I mean, do you listen to some podcasts, right? You keep some in your weekly rotation? Oh, yeah. I'm a very avid podcast listener, and it takes many, many listens to even get a hint of what the inside jokes are about. But what yeah, you do, it is yeah. glory. Totally. Yeah. It's like you're part of a club at this point with a lot of the ones I listen to anyway. They're so conversational and they've been going for like hundreds of episodes. I mean, granted, it's still early days, a halcyon early days for our podcast. But yeah, the ones I listen to have been going for forever. And so it's you, you, it makes no sense to a new person. Well, it is time for us to create our own podcast inside jokes that will live forever <laughs> and ever. That's right. That's right. It's going to go up into the cloud and it will never die. Thank you, Google <laughs> and Amazon sponsors. Nope, no sponsored content yet. Sorry. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's burn this mother down and get into the inferno. Um, I've written down nine questions. We're going to stick with the nine theme from the solo pod that Drew and I are going to play kind of back and forth like ping pong. We'll do some questions. You know, we're going to get a lot of insights from him since I already did a solo on this one, but we'll, we'll both be chiming in. Let's start with a fill in the blank. This is a classic of the brothers book club. We used to do this in our book club episodes, not book review episodes. Uh, let's start with an easy one, Drew in hell. What would your punishment be? So I actually really sat and thought about this for probably the longest in all the questions asked sure. me. And I really feel like this would be my absolute hell. So in hell, my punishment would be my eyelids forced open to watch mm. the entire Transformers franchise on an endless loop ah. as demons tickled my feet while they also okay. were talking during the movie. So I couldn't like fully watch the movies because they would not stop talking and tickling my feet. Brutal. While there's a whiff of vinegar slash vodka in the air and the air would also be like incredibly humid and muggy. oh yeah putrid yes that would be my absolute hell that would and you know what time. for satan or lucifer or beelzebub or whatever that's pretty doable that's like a pretty manageable that's not like you know so unique we could make that we could make that happen now <laughs> oh that's true i guess i was thinking too metaphysical on earth but just reading through and all of the tortures that exist in Dante's Inferno, I realized that a lot of them were very physical pains and tortures. Yeah. And I do wonder if after a while you just would 
be desensitized to all that physical pain after a while. But at least my my torture would be very mental and emotional. Yeah. Mine was in the text itself, and it was those people who ran around naked, tied up with snakes. There were just like living snakes tying up their hands, and I think by <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure well, maybe this is worth a textual deep dive. I couldn't tell when I reread the quote by the phrasing if the snakes were inside of their anuses or if they were just wrapped around their anus. Like I, it, it definitely describes the snakes like wrapping up something, which I mean that's. That's like top tier punishment stuff. Yeah, I, my understanding was is that the snakes and the reptiles, not just the snakes, but all the other reptiles, are just all up in that business. They are mm-hmm. either confining you to like you have to tie yourself around that area, or they are also getting up in it as well. Awful. Nothing worse than a reptile somewhere where they just clearly don't belong. Stay mm-hmm. in your place, reptiles. Like mm-hmm. outside. All right. Agreed. What about um? Let's make the literary case for this because you, you're you a pretty avid reader, as I have been too for a long time. And so I don't think it too, takes too much persuasion for you or I to talk each other into reading a book. Like we're both reading a book together at the moment anyway. And so I think, you know, why don't we try and make the case here for somebody like, I'm going to call out by name our mutual childhood friend, still close friend, Jared, who I peg, though I, I haven't confirmed this, maybe this is unfair, but I peg him to be like a six book reader a year, you know, like casually enjoys a few, but it's not a daily part of his life, I would assume. I could be way wrong about that now. Also, I'm not actually sure. Um, so what would the case be in your mind for either him, you know, if that helps you, or just any person who maybe picks up three to six books a year, but doesn't read a ton? Why should they read Inferno? So... I went very specific, uh, targeting specifically Jared in my response. Uh, But this could definitely broaden out to generally any sort of sports fan. If Jared was sitting in front of me and said, hey, why should I read this? I would look him in the eye and I'd say, Jared, you have suffered your share of torture being a Chicago Bears fan. So why not know the true meaning of torture and read the Dante's Inferno? Oh, hell yeah. And this works in that same pitch, really. For any like emo or goth teens, like the descriptions of this book are just so rampant and vivid that if you're just looking for, you know, I don't want to throw out a really casual phrase like torture porn, but some of the descriptions are just so uh, specific and odd and disgusting that, I mean, if you're just like, uh, you know, looking for general uh, grotesquery, this could work too. And it is truly interesting. Just learning about all the different forms of tortures and all of the circles and how they're Mm -hmm. all just so very different. That is honestly just as weird as it's going to say a fun read just to read that. It's creative. I mean, it's deeply like, I mean, that's why it's a masterwork that's held up for like 700 years or whatever. And it's also me. It's layered with meaning too, which we'll get to. No, I agree with you. And so, you know, the bears are awful. Would, what would you say then who's their current quarterback? The terrible guy. Uh, Mitch Trubisky. What would his hell punishment be? I think his current punishment of being a Chicago Bears quarterback. <laughs> being a starting NFL quarterback is gonna. Yeah, he just shows up every day in hell, and it's Sunday, and he's like, "Oh fuck, I gotta play again, suiting I, up again." I guess if it was his true hell punishment, it would be having Jay Cutler as his backup quarterback always looming over him, wanting to oh, fuck. play. Yeah, smoking cigs on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Glorious. Let's um, 
That's yeah, that's a beautiful image, and I think truly hellish. Yeah, I've got I've got tingles just thinking about that. Seeing Mitch Trubisky suit up every Sunday for eternity. Um, when did you first read Inferno? Then, because you sound about as like you want to praise it, like I praised it on the episode I did. When did you first encounter it? What did you think of it? Yeah, this was definitely my most anticipated episode of the Brothers Book Club podcast, and I Ooh. first read it. And I can't remember the exact year, but it was when I was in college and uh, during the off um, off months of college when you're on break, I would work at the Frito-Lay factory where I would have three 30-minute work breaks. And it was during those work breaks mm. I would always read. And so being the nerdy, geeky college kid that I was working at a blue-collar factory, one of the times I read Dante's Inferno. And after that, I actually read uh, the second of the Divine Comedy, the Purgatorio. Per- oh, oh, yeah! Man. I've never, I've never continued on as much as I admire this. Should I? I say, if you thoroughly enjoy the Inferno, you should continue on with Purgatorio because it is actually very similar in how Purgatory, which you'd think is like the in limbo, so it would be mm-hmm. a little bit nicer and just kind of more chill. But okay. from what I remember, the tortures are just as hurtful and just as menacing as the Inferno. Interesting. Okay. And I yeah, and I'm sure he has a fascinating take on whatever the hell heaven's like. I mean, I, he, he took so much time to imagine, you know, the other states that I, I wonder if the paradise, the finale is good too. I remember reading, I think, two cantos of Paradiso and I stopped because they are not as thrilling entertaining as the first two that's fair that's fair all right well we've danced around it enough it's time to it's time to dig into this bad boy um what do you think you'd give as a one sentence quick review of inferno so we've we've given the light recommendation what's the actual i don't know what are your general thoughts overall my first general thought is this is the most accessible epic poem out of all the epic poems with the rare Ooh. balance of a thoroughly enjoyable read while being deeply literary and insightful on the flaws of humanity. These are hot takes. You're throwing the Iliad in the trash then. My favorite piece of work on planet Earth is Paradise Lost, and that thing is hard to read. This, yeah. The way that this is structured, like you've mentioned in the first podcast, with the short cantos, uh, the footnotes, it is just super easy to read. I agree. I think it also is just generally a fool's errand for any person, really. And I'm like, you know, I, my degrees in like literature, but I would never pick up a text that's older than a hundred or so years that is not that doesn't have annotations of some kind. Like, get some help. It's the whole point. <laughs> Scholars have spent hundreds of years like breaking it down, trying to make understanding. And so, yeah, I think that's just necessary if you're going to read anything this old or older. And I was talking to my fiance about it because she commented how she's always wanted to read it, but she is very afraid of any sort of Shakespearean language to put it in her own words. But yeah. I, I rereading it 10 years later, I was just so taken aback by, wow, this is translated for modern day English. So it is very accessible to probably everybody. 
The hundred percent. I have. We were talking about this earlier, not on the pod, but I have the Hollander translation. Uh, it's the same text I had in college. It is monumental. It's like seven hundred pages long, and the Inferno is not even very long. It's because of how many annotations they put in there, just to explain. They basically explain almost every line. Almost. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like if you want it completely explained to you, every contextual bit, every historical bit. That version is available, and and the, their translation is very readable. Yeah, that's beautiful. There are yeah, some footnotes. It'll be about two to three pages after every canto in line, so it's I think a total of about three hundred pages. Uh, but that, yeah, that's that's double. That's insane. Yeah, no, it's it's a ludicrous one, but I, I'd recommend it. I liked it. And yeah, going back, this is far easier to read than Shakespeare, who, you know, is is nothing if not dense in his way and rhetorically dense too. Not even, this is more illusion dense. Like there's just a hundred names you won't know, but Shakespeare is just more rhetoric dense where it's like he just did five rhetorical things in 10 lines and you probably didn't even see three of them, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And as it goes with illusions, if you don't know what that illusion is, that's not going to impact you as far as enjoying the reader, just kind of getting through it. You won't get that little Easter egg in there, that reference, but you can just keep on going and still yeah. understand exactly the point that he's trying to make as terms of the structure and the theme. Like you don't have to know these specific people. That's okay. I agree. And I think even, I even think you will, I, I had mentioned that. Did you have a favorite illusion? Anything that you went back and checked and that jumped out at you again? Yeah. The illusions that I enjoyed the most are Alexander the Great in Canto 8, oh. which was, um, Canto 8 was about the war makers. And it's just a, a reminder about how people who you've studied in like Western civilization and those will be like, well, put on these giant tears, those great magnificent men. When you actually think about it, no, they would go to hell for the amount of murder and destruction they caused upon people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, it's uh, hard to make a uh, palatable war, I think. I mean, obviously history is written by the winners, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have to chalk that up or explain that. But yeah, I don't think, I'm not sure which wars God would condone. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear on some stuff in the Bible, as far as I remember. Yeah. And he keeps it very literal about if you do one sin, you're going to go to hell. There is no leeway of, oh, well, you balance it out by doing this good deed. No. If you commit a sin, you're done. That's tough out there, man. Christians got it tough. The Catholics, especially. <laughs> did uh, Did you remember anything specific about the Alexander portion? I don't. That was not in the Penguin one I reviewed, as uh, far as I remember. So I did misspeak. Actually, Alexander is in Canto thirteen, and it is in Circle Seven, Round One. Like the infrastructure that is hell of Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. Um, this is for the violent against neighbors. So obviously, if you're going to create a war. You're going to create violence against your fellow humanity. Yeah. And this is another great example of how the illusion is quick because as it's quoted in Inferno, it just says, here is Alexander. That's it. You're, we're, right. we're supposed to know that it is Alexander the Great. And I wouldn't yeah, know yeah. that if it wasn't for the footnotes. Here's my buddy, Alex. He stole $5 from me, so fuck that guy. Here's my... <laughs> uh, and... For that round of hell, uh, Alexander is will forever be boiling in the blood of 
those who he inflicted pain upon. Fantastic. That's a lot of blood. He's going to be in it. He's in, he's really in it deep. Yeah, so I think it's like his whole body and like sometimes his head can stick out of just boiling blood. That's it. That, that's where he'll be for the rest of the days. Man. Well, sometimes the metaphors are just on the nose, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Not not much to misunderstand about that. So you don't need an annotated copy to understand that. That's like a you read that and you're like, oh, yeah, shit. That's OK. And the other Let's two. T- yeah, go ahead. And the other two illusions that also really stuck out to me were in Canto 18, they reference Jason, and again, very much the similar of Alexander, it'll just say, mm-hmm. and here's Jason. And then through the footnotes, I can see that's actually Jason from the story of Jason and the uh, Agronauts, which was yeah. a movie that implemented like some of the first ever stop motion and animation with live action. So that was oh. just a, something that really perked me up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that guy would also go to hell because he inflicted a lot of violence. And he's Greek, too. <laughs> Those Greek heroes never really make it in the end. And speaking of Greek heroes, the last solution I had was Ulysses, who was also in hell. Oh. Why? Did it say? Or did something about it jump out? Uh, let me see. It's Canto 26. And this, so it's... Um, Circle eight of hell, and it says it's for evil counselors. And I believe yeah. it was for the amount of torture and pain Ulysses inflicted upon his wife and his family by being gone so long. And oh, oh okay. And actually, I think it was that, but also primarily about how he was a part of the Trojan War. So, like, if you're in a war, clearly yeah, you're going to go to yeah. hell because you're cl- killing people. And the deceit of the Trojan horse and how it was his idea. So he like created a lie by doing that. Trickery. Yeah. Can't stand liars. And how all of that, the act of creating the Trojan horse led to the death of Achilles, this great warrior, this great man of the Greeks. It was all because of Ulysses. So it was just like, no, Ulysses, like, you're going to hell. And like, he's deep into hell. He's in the eighth circle yikes yeah that's it okay but yeah fair enough at least it's morally consistent that's all we can really hope for from a a preachy text like this one (laughs) a little bit of consistency is good very true did you have any favorite lines or any quotes that you i mean obviously if you read this a while ago not that you may have remembered the quote about the entranceway is really famous i know that's like probably pop culture wise that's like the most common quote about beware ye who enter or i, I already forget the exact phrasing but something like that <laughs> give up hope if you come in here give all hope up something um is there a quote that stuck out to you when you went back Actually, that stuck out to me when you did your podcast because the translation that you read off from the Penguin Classics was different than my translation because my translation is abandon all hope ye who enter here. Yeah, yeah. Which my immediate thought was um, that is clearly alluded in one of my favorite poems of all time of Ozymandias. And how in the statue does say, look upon my work, ye mighty and despair. Like he clearly had to have an allusion to Dante with the phrasing of that statue. Yeah, probably. Did you, um, uh, for, I always do like a little light Wikipedia for some of these. Did you go to the, the page for the, 
it's not even the page for Inferno, but it's the page that links to references to it. It's like staggering. There's there must be like two over two hundred entries, and I'm sure that's like a fraction of what's actually been alluded to. Yeah, I'm sure if you were to put all of the references in the translation that you have, it would probably double those references. Yeah, it's wild. It's yeah, really something incredible. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that is an iconic line, probably the most famous, maybe most recognizable line. Other than, I remember when I read it, the quote. It wasn't even the quote, but the moment that stuck with me is the entire depiction of uh, Satan, or I think my translation calls him Beelzebub, but it doesn't matter. It's the same gist: the fallen angel, you know, the betrayer, all that. And I just, it was the imagery of it really stuck with me that he's so pathetic and trapped and that he's also crying blood. He's just like a really hopeless figure. Yeah. Beelzebub in another epic poem of Paradise Lost was Satan, Lucifer's right hand man. So I'm wondering if he's trying to make an illusion there. uh, Oh yeah. Beelzebub was the one who's actually put in charge of hell when Lucifer went to go seduce Adam. So I'm wondering if Hmm. in Dante's vision, Beelzebub just kind of, took over hell as much as he could while Satan was gone. Could be. I mean, he's got a pretty monumental task constantly chewing on three dudes. So he's, you know, he's busy. He's, he's got a hunger. Do you think, uh, do you think there's a part of this text that feels now more essential than the others that feels more lucid to you or more, I don't know, meaningful in maybe a way that like, is there a canto or again, a line that stands out as really potent now that you looked back at it? The canto that I found the most insightful now is the uh, fifth canto, which is, I believe, the third circle? No, sorry, the second circle of hell. Mm-hmm. So we just starting to dip our toes in. And it's titled, it's the circle for the carnal. And your first thought will probably be, okay, those who ate human beings. But actually, um, for Dante... The carnal are those who betrayed reason to their appetites. So they, oh, yeah. they kind of let their passions act over their reasons. And they mm-hmm. go down to say, like, abandoned, abandoned themselves to the tempest of their passions. So really, that was the canto where you found Cleopatra and all of oh, the yeah. Yeah. lovers because they were putting the love of somebody else over, like, logical thought in themselves at times. And probably over God. You can't love others more than God. That's also pretty clear in the Bible. Or I'm pretty sure that's a commandment of sorts. Exactly. So they're putting someone else's love over love of God and over reason. So boom, you're going to hell for doing that. Yeah, tough break for them. I mean, especially since Cleopatra, like had Christianity really been popularized by then? I guess it I guess it had emerged maybe. I don't remember. You know, historically now I can't place that. I don't think, because I know she had a lot of interactions with Rome, but at that point, had Christianity really come up? You know, it's tough. Hard to pick a religion that isn't popular yet. Yeah, I can't count it because I'm not certain either. Yeah, <laughs> nice. That's And you know what? We're not going to research it, guys. And that's just what this podcast is and will forever be. Let's uh, let's keep it loose. You know, we're not uh, academics here, though. We'll have some aspirations. Did, um, did any part when you went back now strike you as really hellish in a sincere way, like genuinely creepy? And then did any part strike you as just absurd or kind of silly? Coincidentally, I found the thieves circle to be the most hellish. And that was the one that would be your own form of punishment in hell. Oh yeah. That it's grotesque to read about like swarms of insects, swarms of 
uh, reptiles, like piles of snakes. It's, I just find that it's the it's the wriggliness of that of it all. It's just like a mass that's squirmy. It's really disgusting. And that's actually step one out of this circle. Sure. Because what would happen in the circle? So as you were binded up by these reptiles, they're all crawling over you. They would bite you in some sort of artery that would instantly kill you and you would burn to ash. And then like a Phoenix, you would reform into a human being again. That's definitely the most pathetic Phoenix of all time. I mean, that's like the <laughs> least impressive, least impressive use of resurrection of, of a cool moment where you're like, wow, you're reforming from ash. What an impressive mythological thing you did. And then just to be tortured again by reptiles. That's, that's truly awful. So you'd have to go through that, I'm guessing, clearly painful process of your entire body burning to ash and then mm-hmm. recalibrating to come back into human form. And then Thrilling. while that you're that's all happening, and then you're also going to have your body transform into a reptile and then back into a human again. Oh, so you get to see what it's like on the other side. That's still awful, though. All of this is happening at the same time. See, and th- when we talk about this, I am still now mentally pushing myself further to picking up the Purgatorio and the Paradiso, because if if he can devise punishments such as these, how come he can't devise rewards and incentives that are equally thrilling to read about? Like, what's the antithesis of that in Paradise? Give me the give me the opposite. Am I like bathed in warm water by like pigeons or doves for eternity, or so? like what's the opposite of this? Yeah, it would be interesting if I try to read it now, being so less cynical than I was in my college years. I'm, I'm wondering if I, when I got to that phase of reading about paradise, I was just so checked out, like, nah, happy endings yeah. aren't real. I don't want to read about this, just like how the world's shit. This is what we're living in right now. God, talk about, I mean, Inferno must be like an all-time good book for brooding people, you know, for people who want to be grim and like kind of dour serious. And then also it checks the box of like also being incredibly significant, like a landmark piece of literature. So really, yeah, if you're like out there in college or of a similar age and you just want to look stern and serious and maybe angry, this is like maximum level. You just carry this around with you. Just have an annotated copy, you know, make notes all over it and just keep Inferno by your side. You'll intimidate a lot of people. Exactly. If I kind of wish if I could have picked this up during those emo years, and I definitely could have used this to help fuel some of my angstiness mm-hmm. and also probably my drawing in my English notebook. Oh, definitely, man. The screw you you would probably get out of school suspension now for depicting some of the uh, acts of this text. Let's um. Let's wrap this up then. We're near our uh, self-imposed 30-minute limit, though this has been great. Uh, what is your review? If You can use our scale if you want to. We use a three-point system, which means three is people should go read this no matter what. Two is people should go read this, but here's a qualification. And then one is people should just avoid this. Uh, or you can just make up your own system. What do you think? What's your review of this? Should people read this in 2019? Full of three out of three. Yeah. Everybody can read this and everybody should read this. But I think the caveat should be mentioned. You should probably be of age as an adult. I would not give this to a middle schooler. I probably wouldn't even give this yeah. to a freshman or sophomore. I would need to make sure someone is very mature in reading this because it would probably give someone nightmares if they're a little bit too young in this vivid imagery that he provides. 
So yeah, it would be a mature mindset, but yeah, everybody should definitely read this. That you, you've never sounded more like a teacher to me than when you just made that very important, uh, content qualification my i think my qualification too because I, I gave it a three in my review episode but i would say the same thing though my qualification would be far more elitist and it's just like most people aren't going to get most of the references nor did i and that's fine that's what the annotation copies are for like that's i would say if you're a high schooler and you're you know advanced or you just want a challenge yeah go for it it's not i, I agree with you and what you said much earlier this is not going to be as challenging as shakespeare i think like just straight off the bat just to read it just the words on the page and so you know if you're up for a bit of a challenge and you can find a copy with some guidance yeah i think it's kind of approachable absolutely definitely find that text that features a lot of the footnotes and I also know that there's some versions out there where they'll have a little summary of the canto before you even read it. So just give you a mm-hmm. little preview. Hey, this is what it's about to help you keep a lookout for those big ideas. Um, it's super accessible. I'm going to just re-recommend mine then because mine has those summaries and it has a map with like pictures and stuff. It's the Hollander translation. That to me actually is key is a map. They're, the copy that I have it's the Signet Classics. Uh, okay, yeah, by, I know those. Okay, yeah, by John Ciardi. And there are like three maps and three displays of how it's layered. Because that was the biggest thing when I was first trying to read this, was just trying to envision all of these layers and all of these circles as they're descending down, down, down. And that's going to be key. Just to kind of, oh yeah, this one's here, that one's here. Okay, there's the fourth layer. Because then you get to the subsections of circles as you get to like circle six, circle seven, circle eight. And it is really hard to like know what's what. So that's key. Fantastic. I just quickly opened up the Hollander copy I have because I knew it was translated by a husband and wife team. And I just read his qualifications and it cracked me up. He taught the Divine Comedy at Princeton for 42 years. So I, I think his translation's good. <laughs> I think I trust, you know, it's like, all right, man, this the Hollander one seems solid. <laughs> Yeah, you, sir, are qualified. Yeah, and that's why he's probably annotating. And she joined him. She's like a, a writer's conference teacher or something, creative writing teacher, professor. Um, but yeah, that is like, I, th- I think I'll trust your, you have a take on every line of this. That's understandable. Yes, appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah, th- thanks for good looking out. And with that, let's wrap this, man. This was a real joy. I think we're going to have to get you back on the pod again soon. We'll see what we can tantalize you with, if there's any upcoming classics we can throw you in on. And hopefully we'll get, you know, maybe another brother involved. Who knows? We've got a lot of brothers out there. You have brothers of your own. Maybe we'll extend the brotherly family. I wouldn't keep your hopes up because I, <laughs> I don't know if either of them have read a book since high school. <laughs> Fantastic. That's our target demographic here. All right. That's our target demo. We're trying to hit that hard. We'll see if we can we'll see if we can persuade him. Uh, but until we get him on here, we will see you between the classics. Bye.